0: From prison to professional athlete, today I chat with Jer Redmond. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, Roman welcome back. It's another Wednesday. It means it's another long-form interview for the Roadman Podcast. And today's Roadman Podcast, I say this every week, I'm like a broken record, but the guests I'm getting are phenomenal. Today's guest, is another phenomenal guest. His name is Jerry Redmond. He's better known as Prison 2 Pro. Jerry has such a fascinating story. If you traveled the length of the world, you'd struggle to find a story that's as compelling as and interesting as this story and it happens that Jer just lives only a few kilometers from my house Jer is someone who got wrapped up as an early age in criminality petty crime which escalated into serious crime which ultimately stuck him behind bars in prison and he was faced with a choice of go deeper into criminality go deeper into the underworld or turn his back on it and do something positive and jared chose the latter jared chose to be a role model he chose to be an inspiration for his community and he's pushed on to the point that he's got his professional triathlon license he's an inspirational character in the locality he's spreading his message through instagram youtube and podcast and i'm Privileged that he took the time to sit down with me and chat to me about this inspirational journey today. Before I dive into the Jair interview, may I ask all you good folk to head on over to patreon.com? Patreon is how we fund this podcast. We haven't taken on any show sponsors yet, it's entirely funded by your generosity. So if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're getting some value, entertainment or education from listening to it, I'd ask you to head over there, buy me the price of a pint of beer once a month. In exchange, I'm going to give you access to the secret podcast. Now this month's secret podcast is epic. When you go over there you'll get access to this month's and all the back catalogue of Secret Podcast, but this month's one I talk about how you can use DNA testing to get a performance edge. So if you're someone who struggles with, you know, gut issues, who struggles with digesting food, not sure on what foods you should avoid. This DNA testing, it's completely game-changing, and it's not as expensive as you think. It's very, very affordable for your average Joe athlete. I talk about that and a drink I'm using at the moment to cut weight by just taking the drink every single morning. It's a class episode. It's over on The Secret Podcast. You get that by making a contribution of the price of beer once a month. Okay, folks, we've pushed this one off long enough. It's the moment you've been waiting for. It's prison to pro. Jer Redmond, take it away. Jerry Redmond, welcome to the Roadman Cyclone Podcast. Thanks
1: for having me,
0: Anthony. Those things? Not bad, not bad. Uh I had, I think we're on episode, I don't know, around 160 at the moment on the Roadman Cyclone Podcast. And I've only had two Dublin lads on the podcast. So you're the second.
1: That's
0: a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to some of the Irish pro lads a lot, but the Irish pro lads have been abroad for so many years that it's like they're hardly Irish anymore because they're racing in France since they're 16 and then they're closer to French speakers than they are
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, Irish. I was going to say Irish speakers, but none of us probably speak Irish. Sure. I want to talk to you about, I think you have a fascinating story and I know we have a a mutual friend, one of my training partners at the moment uh, kind of put me onto you. And as soon as I heard the story, I was like, this sounds brilliant because for me, when I think about what's an interesting story, straight line success never makes an interesting story. If I'm like talking to someone, they're like, oh yeah, I was a prodigy athlete and then I became a pro and then I won stages in the tour. I'm like, it's a pretty boring story. I think we need to have success then it to go to absolute shite and then for it to come back again. And your story is that perfect zigzag.
1: Everyone loves a shit story, don't they?
0: So talk to me about your 16 years old and you've signed for Dunfermline. My background soccer as well. Like, played up to the League of Orleans with Bohemians and I was obsessed with it as a kid so I can totally get into the mindset you had as a kid and all your dreams come true signing for Dunfermline so I think maybe that's a good place for us to start the story.
1: Yeah um, so I grew up in, in North and uh, we uh, in Darda, any of your listeners don't know Darda and they uh, probably aren't watching the news much.
0: It's not on the tourist <laughs> hotspots to visit anyway we'll just
1: say that. Don't go there. <laughs> but, uh, like, yeah, even like, I mean, I grew up in a dysfunctional family and I found soccer was an outlet for me. Um, I was pretty good at soccer, to be fair. But I don't know whether I was actually talented at soccer or I actually found really a good outlet um, away from the family home, which is a negative place to be at all times. I wouldn't even call it a home. That's been nice, to be honest with you. But um, I, I did find some passion in football. Um, and at the age of 16 as you said I got the opportunity a scout actually come over to watch me unheard of people in Darndale Killock making as a professional footballer um, and for a scout to come over and watch us was was very exciting not only for myself but your lads playing as well the day he came over I scored 10 goals in one game um, <laughs> I knew he was coming so I wasn't passing the ball <laughs> this was my opportunity <laughs> but that. Uh, he knocked down to the house after that match and um, invited me over for a trial, which is February. I'm not even too sure what year it was, to be honest with you. I just remember it being February because we were off school um, for, for around Valentine's Day. I know mean, it was a week off then. So I remember going over that time. But the week before, uh, I remember sitting in my house playing FIFA. Well, not even in my house, my friend's house. Playing FIFA football. And I was being done <laughs> And I was... It was just unreal. Like, I was actually playing with the team with these lads on FIFA, and then I was going over to meet them a week later, you know? So it was a pure dream. Like, it was like a bubble. I couldn't believe it. So I got off the flight anyway um, for a trial, went to a place called Falkirk, straight off the flight to Falkirk, togged out for the Um, on the bench. They were losing 3 1. I come off the bench, score two, and let up the winner. We won 4 <laughs> 3. The rest is history. Uh, I was at their team. under 16 team. That's know 16 team. Paul Kirk was looking to sign me. A couple of other teams or uh, scouts were heard about me. We we're asking them to sign me. But uh, obviously, they wanted to sign me. So I went and signed for them on the YTS scholarship. Um, YTS is a youth team
0: system for anyone listening that's not oh, a yeah. football fan. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, ah, look, okay, it was unreal, the dream come true. I was brought around by the first team manager around the stadium, showed me the ropes. I was cleaning boots for other pros. I was getting lifts to the bus stop and that big cars. you know. I I thought it was the best time in my life. I came from a big dysfunctional family and was still dysfunctional family when I was there. So I had that worry as well. My other five brothers and sisters back home living with a father who was, uh, very uneasy, didn't know what what sort of attitude he was going to wake up with, and it was never a positive attitude to be honest. You. So, you sort of knew it was going to be an avoidance. Were
0: you into any petty crime or anything like
1: that before you went away to Dunfermline? No, never done anything. <laughs> like, you know, it was you know, would be with the lads, you know, the way you, you, you knock on doors and we throw a stone or something at a house or something. But, sim- and I'm not saying that's simple things, like, but you know, just. I as suppose as what teenagers grew up to, nothing major, nothing, nothing that you would, you know, um, that would get me prison sentence or anything like that. Because
0: I know I had a friend and he went across and, you know, came up with all the football circles as well. And he went across brilliant. He was the best out of all of us. And, you know, all the scouts were buzzing around, a few of us, but he went over. He was nailed on to sign for a big English Premier League team. And then he came back. And he ring around, knocking around all the lads. I'll oh, come around to the house, come around to the house. I have a surprise. And he, like you, we were kind of mucking about. There was no proper criminality going on, but he was into a bit of antisocial stuff. But what he'd done when he went over to the Premier League team was he robbed their boot room and he stole all the boots from the 1st team players. And he came home with a bag of boots for all the lads. And he thought it was great crack. Oh. Like, it cost him a career as a footballer. Like... They sacked them straight away, obviously, when they found out it was him. And looking back, it's just like 500 euro football boots or something cost them a chance at dream. Yeah, it's a stream. Yeah, you have no awareness stuff. of that when you're a kid.
1: No, you don't, but that's why you need good role models in your life to, uh, and to talk to you about stuff like that, you know, and not shy away from talking to, you, to kids about the right and wrong thing in life, you know. You need to spend time with kids, you know.
0: So, how did that start to unravel for you, Dunfermline? Because that seems like I know you were living my dream and you were probably living a lot of other kids around Dublin's dream over there. How did
1: that start to come apart? So, I was I was over there playing my the trade as a soccer player, getting paid, getting wage slips and all as, as a soccer player. <laughs> <was in> <laughs> uh, I think after about six months or something, I got a call from home saying my father committed a crime back in Killock. Uh, pretty bad crime, in fairness. And I asked the coach, could I go home? Because I was ringing back and forward for the few days after that, and things weren't sounding good. So I said, can I go home just to see what's what's happening, Um, just to check, see see what's happening with the kids and that. So I got off a flight coming from Scotland to Dublin, got off a flight. And looking back now, I didn't realise at the time, but when I got off that flight, I fell into a deep, dark hole that I didn't, didn't know I was falling into at the time, but um, I went back to the house and the windows were barred up in the house and the mother was in there drinking alcohol with other friends. Well, so she taught her friends on the road, you know? Why were the and windows boarded up? Well, the family that we dad had committed the crime on had put the windows through uh, as a revenge attack type thing. So they were barred up and the, my other siblings were upstairs and... Um, You know, just sitting around, there was no one looking after him. Mother had sort of given up. She was already a chronic drinker, as it was even before that. And this is just, I suppose, spiralling her out of control as well. And was your dad arrested for a crime? He was locked
0: up. He was locked up. So and were you the oldest of the siblings?
1: I was the oldest uh, boy. My sister was a year older than me. So was it a case of you nearly
0: stepping up to become a father figure to the rest of your siblings at that stage?
1: Yeah, so sure. No choice like I mean, my back was put against the wall. What do I do? Go back over and live the professional lifestyle, leave all these and the shit. I mean, what sort of person would do that? So I decided it was time to step up and put my career on hold. So and um,
0: is that a is that a decision? You know, we often hear people talk about a fork in the road, but in my experience, the fork in the road does happen, but oftentimes we nearly drift down a road convincing ourselves it's only temporary and we'll come back to our other career. But then we just get further and further and deeper and deeper into something. Was it a case of the fork or was it a case of the drift?
1: It was a case of having no choice. No. Just,
0: you had to start making hard decisions.
1: What was I supposed to do? There's no way I could have left them in that in the shit like and walk away. I couldn't. I wouldn't have been able to play the football anyway. Thinking of that, you know, so it would affect me in all sorts of ways. Um, so the decision was made to stay. Um, it was an easy enough decision to be honest. With you. It was a hard decision. It, w- it was hard on me, but it was an easy decision.
0: Yeah. And did I mean, you stop playing football, or did you play back on?
1: I tried to play football and I was shit at it <laughs> because. Uh, I had so many so many negative thoughts and I, I used to leave the house and go train and I would be thinking to my family say, make sure you're all right so it used to affect me playing soccer plus then the fact that I lost the scholarship the YTS like with unfairment that had a knock on effect on my confidence then I got in I got involved in a criminal gang one for protection and two to put food on the table so I was involved in that I was holding stuff as well so with all that on i me each other as well, you
0: know? And how does that work for someone listening? You know, when you're like, I'm only a few kilometers down the road from you and it's still, it's something foreign to me. You know, I'd have friends who dabbled in this world, but for a listener listening, that's no exposure to, you know, criminality, antisocial behavior. To say you got involved in a criminal gang, it's not like you send CVs around and one of them comes back to you. What's that look like? How do you get into a criminal gang and start making money in this in this life?
1: You, you become an asset to them. That's how you do it. Like I obviously knew them all because this is where I grew up. This is the norm around my area. So I, I knew these lads as it was. And all it took for me to do was to sort of offer the service. Do you know what I mean? Like I can hold stuff or I can do something, you know. And that's how you get in. And once you're in then and you're trusted, sure, so look, at they need you as much as you need them. And it becomes, becomes that, that type of friendship if you would call a friendship. Did you feel like you had another choice? No, not so no other choice. So there was no one there. Like, there was not, like, we, we we didn't, we were on social welfare, right? There was four kids and myself, so six kids altogether on social welfare living in uh, the prior area. So, like, even at that, there wasn't enough journey, with heating and electricity and shopping and school and, Birthday presents and Christmas presents, and oh, we needed money from elsewhere. We needed a different, different outlet,
0: and I think that's the key. Is that we're going to get down into uh, later on in the discussion because some of the stuff you do around kids and trying to turn them in the right direction now is brilliant, and I want to dig deep into that. But I know thinking back, you know, I had friends who were sort of dabbling in this, some of them a bit deeper than others, and I can remember a moment where I had that real fork in the road. I was working, I was in college. You know, I was in football circle. So not many of my mates would have went to college. So I was going to the outlier going into college. And I remember being in college and one of my friends who was deeper into this world came in and he was just like, how much are you getting paid for this? And I was like eight quid an hour or something. And he's breaking his bollocks laughing. And he's like, if you hold this bag for me for a week, I'll give you a grand. All you got to do is hold a bag. Nothing else. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, that's such an easy money to hold a bag. Not, I don't even need to know what's in the bag. Hold yeah. it for a week. And I remember thinking, I really want to be a lawyer. I want to get to law school. It's like, I'd be fucked out with law school if I'm caught with this bag. There's no yeah. chance. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. That's the, it's the having an outlet, having a second choice. But when you're facing that situation, there's no, order, there's no plan B.
1: But there's no choice for people in the priorities areas. In that sense, I mean, I don't know what type of family you came from that had you thinking you could go to law school. But down there in Kurok, there's no one influencing that in the family. Yeah, there's no one saying to you you can be better. There's no one telling you you can achieve absolutely anything, no matter where you come from. No one saying that. Everyone's saying you're a piece of shit, more or less, without saying. It.
0: And how deep from that moment where you you know you become an asset to the gangs until the moment when it's game over and they turn that key and you're inside in prison, how deep do you go into this world?
1: As deep as your emotions are really. So we got very, very negative. So we became an ass because I we was going around with no problem, breaking people up for money, with no problem. If you owe me money, I, and it wasn't even about the money, it was about me and my problems. I had such a negative feeling inside from what happened to me as a kid losing becoming a professional having to come home and look at me brothers and sisters having to be faced with all that plus we are on that threat from family that we fired to commit the crime against all this shit was put on us so i had a lot of negative inside me which which came out in a negative way towards people
0: and then it, is it is it a case i imagine money is just Easy to make in this game, or I don't want to say easy to make, but you're making more money than your mates will be. You know, if your mates gone off and done an apprenticeship as a plumber, you're probably rolling around with multiples of what he's bringing in each oh. week, and the lure of that must get quite powerful for a young kid and the materialistic side of it. Yeah, of course.
1: Like it's like Daniel Carra, isn't it? Like you're looking at your lads making all the money, and you're taking all the risks. So eventually, you have a bit of. Bit of intelligence you're going to think i got going to leave a minute this is not weighing up no. so i start taking different risks and going down a different route about it you know and starting up your know, own enterprise getting away from them you know so but the main thing i suppose from a criminal out there is a lot of them have this negative negativity inside them and they lash out on others to get money so it's just, a, it's an evil empire, you know. It's a, it really is an evil word, being involved in criminality. So talk to me about
0: the turning point. Is it the moment you're caught and arrested and you know you're going to do time? Is it the moment you're sentenced or is it the moment that key turns in the cell in Mount Joy for night number one in prison?
1: Yeah, no, you're, no I'll tell you about my night number one. <laughs> so I uh, so got convicted, I think it was two thousand fourteen. And I was held in remand in Tower Hill. What was the charge, are you mind saying? Yeah, it was drug drug offenses. So there's drugs found in the house, And I got convicted on that. Um. So before you get sentenced, you have to go into remand, you know? So you go into remand for whatever a week, say. So the judge puts me in remand. She 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 convicts me. So she says, you're being convicted. And then you go into remand for a week and then you come back and she sentences you, right? So I go into a. Uh, I went to refuel. <laughs> I'm, put, I'm putting this land in about six o'clock in the evening because I've been in court all day, and they lock this, the doors at about seven. You know, everyone's door cell gets locked, so I, I've nowhere to go. So they put me in to this one man cell with this guy, and I'm sitting there, and there's not only one bed, right? <laughs> Fourth time in prison, right? Throw me a couple of blankets. That's the easy bit. <laughs> then your man puts on, I don't know, Eastenders or something, right? And he goes, you might have a shit. <laughs> like, it's a one-man cell. And, and there's no fucking bathroom. Like, it's, it's in the cell, like right? Anyway, that was the least me my worries. So, anyway, he finishes shit. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? and then he goes to me, um, what are you in for? And I said, "Ah, oh, drug offense. And I said, what are you in for? And he goes, murder. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> like, fuck's sake. I fucking sleep with one eye out, but I don't think I slept. I don't think I slept a minute that night, but it was real like hit me and go, wow, like, and look at the chap was, look at, he was fine. He didn't do anything. He didn't, didn't get smart. Didn't say but that hit me. I went, fuck. Like, this I take it. You
0: weren't day. having a discussion over who gets to bed with him.
1: No, I just stand on the the floor on a blanket, you know, just fucking to the next morning. I have a a very different story, but it's about beds, but it's
0: not about prison. So I signed for a a pro team in the US. uh, I would have been 2014, I think. And I flew, I was living in Toronto and I flew in from Toronto to Carolina for for day one, the training camp. So you're meeting the whole new team. It's 10, 12 new riders, some of them all over the world. I'd raced in France and stuff before, but in France, everyone gets their own bed. You know, it's just it's not thought of that you share a bed with another lad. But in the States, budgets are tighter. It's hotel life. They don't have these kind of hostels and stuff. So hotel rooms are more expensive. So it's common that riders share double beds. But so my manager picks me up late at the airport, flights delayed, a minute 1 a.m. or something, and he gives me a key to the room. He's like, You're in room number 12 and you're sharing with Colton. And I was like, okay, cool. And go up to the bedroom and I go up and there's one double bed and there's a lad fast asleep in the double bed. And I'm just kind of like, oh, what the fuck? So I go back down to the manager. I'm like, here, there's only one bed in that room. What's going on? He's like, yeah, you're sharing. So I'm like one in the morning, getting stripped down to the boxers, climbing into a (laughs) bed beside a lad that I've never met before. And he's kind of rolling over and looking at me. And I'm like, how are you? Like, I'm Anto. (laughs) How's things? It was the most awkward. I didn't like you that experience. So I'm not comparing the two, but like you that night, I didn't sleep a wink because I was that homophobic that I was like, if my leg touches his leg here, will (laughs) he think that I'm coming on to him? And then you know, you're you're all forward six months, and you know, you're sharing a bed with three teammates and you're sleeping completely sound and it's just normal. But it was so out of the normal that I just didn't sleep a wink that night. So I can only imagine. the the... poor night's sleep you had
1: (laughs) but look at it it's an experience in itself and you can try and find the positives out of it
0: (laughs) but is that a moment then that first night where you're just thinking like because there's two choices i suppose in you know my experience in law you see there's when people are faced with this and i'm not sure if this was the moment for you they either go deeper down this rabbit hole and they use prison as an apprenticeship and they learn everything. They network, they up their skills and they say, this is the life. I'm going to become an expert in my craft. Or they go the other way and they completely turn their back on it and say, this is the wake-up call I needed.
1: Yeah, so I suppose I taught myself, that's it. You, you put yourself here. You acted the hard man out there. Um, so what, you're going to be a little in here now. So I stepped it up and started trying and started getting the mind right you know, like you just have to sort of, it's fight or flight, you know, to be honest with you. Um, so, I did have that talk with myself and said, don't be fucking weaseling here. You need to man up and take this on the chain. Because I was fretting, like I was like, fuck, what am I going to do with it? How many years were you sentenced to? Sorry? How many years were you sentenced
0: to? Two years. Two years. Like, three. a week in one prison one. could change someone's life. Sorry? A night in prison, a week in prison, I'd imagine, could change someone's life.
1: Well, Sure, it could like, depend on how much of a flight you get, you know. But, um, so yeah, I, I got sent then like a week there and uh ended up Mountjoy. And that first night, Mountjoy, now I went to sea landing. So you got to sea landing first, you get settled in, and then they they ask you on, on that stretch then they pick a landing for you to go on. Then C wing, D wing, or A wing. So I was put on to it, I was put on to C wing, <laughs> and you know, you're putting there <laughs> to home my Simpson jocks <laughs> so you're putting a pair of lean pants you know the granddad's ball stranglers yeah yeah a pair of them. <laughs> and a prison kit then you get your kit in. a few days later the family drops so, up but I actually had a brother on the landing so when I landed on the landing your brother was there, he gave me a tracksuit and brothers and all, Looked at him. But that's the thing, you know um, you just settle in and you just adapt to your, to your surroundings I'm very good at that my back's to the wall on anything and I Anytime my life, me back against the wall, i just overcoming that insect set within the, the environment I'm in. You know,
0: and how easy is it to switch your head to? Because you're talking about backs against the wall, I have to get my head right, and you're thinking that uh, I'm interpreting that as a positive sense. You're starting to get me head right and go, This isn't going to happen to me again, but how much can you focus on that versus? how much are you in self-preservation mode? Don't get caught up in anything in here or don't get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time.
1: So the, the last thing i are thinking about is, um, the last thing you're thinking about is how, how, how am I going to change my life? What well, you're thinking about was how am I going to survive? So that's what I start thinking. How do is it
0: that my... tough in there? How am I going to survive? Is it
1: yeah. that grim? Oh, it's, a, it's a time bomb. Do you ever, this is how we explain to people, right? Do you ever, when you're a kid that ground the fire in Halloween fire or something, right? And you travel an aerosol can in and it blows. <laughs> That's what Mountjoy is like. It's fucking on edge twenty-four-seven. It just goes off like you are walking up the land and next of all you just see ructions, people punching the head off each other or, or screws fighting with the with, with the prisoners. It's constant. constant people walking around, blood coming out coming out of a cell, someone got gets attacked. Um, so you try and go into the, I, what i done was I tried to put myself in the environments where that, that um, risk was minimized, like the gym or the skill. Because a lot of people that go to the gym or the skill are people who don't really want hassle. they just want to get around with their sentence. just want to learn, or just want to get fit. Um, whereas the others, they stick around the recreation area, the pool area, the room. around, you know, when I say pool area, snook around, it's not what you think, it's <laughs> fucking, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it's not the crucible. Do, 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 do.
0: it's intermission time on the roadman podcast this is the time where you get a little chance to say you know what i've got this far in the podcast so i'm getting a lot of enjoyment i'm getting a lot of value out of this and to give a little bit back to pay it forward head on over to patreon.com forward slash anthony underscore pause the podcast we'll wait for you head over there do it now buy me the price of a beer once a month as a thank you okay let's get back to chatting with you
1: it's not the crucible. It's not even your local pool room around. It's shitty, but that's where the muppets sort of hang around. They take their drugs, they do their little dealings. And then, you know, once you're with that sort of people, you're looking for hassle, to be honest with you. So, did you have kids at this time? I had four kids at this time.
0: And did you have an awareness? You talked about how your dad was not a role model to you. Did you have an awareness at this time as to the role model you were becoming for your kids?
1: Yeah, so the first night that I got sentenced, not the first night I was in Romance, first night I got sentenced in Seawing, and then when I was in the the basement at that time, I sat there, the door shook, and I cried, because I had a picture of my daughter, I just had one picture of my daughter, um, and I looked at her and I said, jeez, I've just done the exact same thing my father done on me, he done it on me, and now I'm doing it on them, like, how did it all go wrong? Um, so that was already setting in. That little seed was being planted that first night. Um, but as I said, it was survival mode. I wasn't really thinking about how it's going to change around. I was just thinking about how to survive. I feel like this is part two.
0: We need the epic Rocky decides to come out of retirement moment. When did the seed come that you're thinking triathlon? Was that while you're in prison or was that when you get out?
1: No, so two thousand sixteen I, I remember sitting in my cell two thousand sixteen before I got out and I remember saying to myself, Where's my life gone? Like I remember it just flashed in front of me. I went from being sixteen year old playing football with the and I'm sitting in a cell at the age I think it was thirty two, probably sixteen years later, and my life flashed in front of me. I said, what the fuck's happened? happening? Then when I got out then, um I was in an old prison so I used to get out weekends my son ross was due at the end at the november the 26th um a couple of things happened me a friend of mine i was in amsterdam a friend of mine and he was telling me little stories about his son down camping doing little things you know to get up as a bond like and it was really it was really nice and uh he died two weeks later my friend did from a drug overdose yes
0: sorry i remember
1: being in the in the remember being in the funeral home and i sat there and his son, he was about four, walked up to the coffin, and couldn't make sense of it. The son was like, you know, just looking for his dad to play room. See a lot of people who are involved in drugs and criminal gangs are doing it. They say for a family, oh, I'm doing it for a family. That's how they justify it in their mind, which is absolute bullshit. So this kid's looking for his dad, just a play him, not looking for anything, money, not looking for toys, just wants his dad. And I sat there and said, I'm oh, fucking never, ever going to put my kids through that. How selfish are we? And no disrespect to me, you know, it's not just, how can I see this in front of me evolving? And then me go back and possibly put my kids through that. If I take drugs, drugs and die, or possibly put some other family um, through that. If I sell drugs to someone and they do that. So I swore that time I was done. I said, that's it. I'm fucking done with this life. I don't give a shit if I end up on the dog. I don't give a shit if I end up on nothing. I'm done. And I, 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 that was it. That day was the the turning point for me to change. So I started to round myself with like minded people. Um, a friend of mine was doing an Ironman. I went to watch him. And I thought to myself, geez, no, I couldn't swim. But he had inspired me that much. Him and others that had done it. Like those people there, 65 coming across the line. I was like, fucking hell, like if they can do it. Um, so. That little thing coming in my head, I said, do you know what, maybe I could try it. Couldn't swim, never been on a road bike. I was on a, a road mountain bike before, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> never, never on a road bike, never on a TT bike, never seen one until that day. Couldn't swim, couldn't do one length of a pill. Um, but you know what, I said, if I try it and I get fit, I'll be in a good place. At least I'll be fit and healthy and I'll be in a good place in life. And I put all that stuff behind me. So I need a new goal to get away from the old me, you know?
0: Because if the story ended there, it's a good new story. And it's a rare story because the cliche with the life that you were leading is it only ends in two ways, prison or dead. Yeah. So the fact that you chose option C, which isn't really a viable option for most people, that in itself is a story. But then you set your head on Iron Man's not enough. I want to be a pro Iron Man. <laughs> talk to me about that moment because like i'm in the you know circles where i'm chatting to pro cyclists and i've been paid to ride the bike and every now and then you do see a lad coming along and he's going i'm going to be a pro and you just break your bollocks laughing, and go you don't know what you're talking about mate you're not <laughs> going to be a pro you want the sound bike that you're going to be a pro and you want to tell your mates that don't know what they're talking about that you want to be a pro yeah. but you don't want to do what's involved in being a pro because it's not glamorous. It's hard graft. Where's that moment that you say, I'm going to be a pro? And what was the response from,
1: I suppose, the triathlon community? Um, so I'd done the first Ironman and I never suffered. People said you're going to suffer, uh, especially in the marathon. So you'll suffer. You know, as an endurance athlete, you get to a certain point where you're going, trying to push yourself, get through certain things. You're suffering. And um, I didn't suffer. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, I realised that I'd suffered so much in life that my mind was callous to all this shit. Sport is not suffering. Old David Goggins, callous mind. Do you know what I mean? But like, sport to me was not suffering. So I went looking for suffering. So I decided to book Lanzarote, which is one of the toughest iron Men in the world. Um, and again, I pushed as hard as I could. I went looking for the suffering. Where the fuck is it? Um, and again, I didn't suffer. And I finished, I think I'd done the Ironman in, I think it was ten fifty or 10, something like that. But it was a really good time. I was only in the sport about six, 12 months or something.
0: Which and 10 is a very respectable time, like for anyone listening, because I know most of the listeners are out-and-out out cyclists. Like 10 is a serious move and anything around that. I, I know one of our coaches is uh, Liam Dolan. He had the record, the Irish record for a number of years. I think it's been subsequently broken by Brian McChrystal. But to be anywhere near 10 is a serious achievement especially for your first one.
1: Yeah. So when I came across the finish line lands of Lanzarotty, I was like, that little boy came back to me when I was a kid and said, maybe you could be pro again. <laughs> that was, that's what happened. I remember coming across the finish line and someone going, that's a really respectful time. Like, you're only in the sports bleed in 12 or 14 months and you're already doing the lands of the toughest one in the world at that time. I mean, there's something there, you know. Um, so I decided to sign up for Barcelona in October 2018. And people laughed. I, I told people I was going to be proud, and they laughed. They wouldn't even engage with conversation with me. I'd go into bike shops and say, yeah, I'm going to be proud. And it's like, what do you want? what's wrong with the bike? <laughs> they just changed the subject. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, people didn't know who I was, didn't know my background, didn't know all that negative energy I had put really in myself that I was now, I now found a new outlet to push all the negative into a positive. So I was trying, I was getting up at 2 or 3 in the morning and doing four-hour cycles. Like most days, I couldn't even feel me in shins, knees, nothing. But I knew if I put everything into this, that, you know, it was more achievable. And I wanted to prove people wrong then after them laughing at me when they tell them it's going to become pro.
0: So I I love storytelling. I'm fascinated by it. And one of the things in storytelling is we call it the hero's two journeys. So, you know, you being the hero in this case, the hero has two journeys. The first journey is that to be a pro. That's the external journey. But often more powerful is the second journey the hero goes on, the internal journey. And it's who you become in the process of striving for this goal. So in your case, you fully transitioned from all that negative energy that was fueling and making you successful in the criminal underworld You've taken all that and brilliantly turned it into a positive motivator to to grab that pro-life. But also in the process, I know for a fact you've inspired people in the local community to give them another option. So when you're looking back at 16-year-old chair, when you're thinking, I've no other option here, only crime, it only needs one or two positive role models in a community like you to go, hold on, there is an option here. It's not just crime or pro soccer player there's other options here
1: yeah 100 that is the that was my main internal drive you can if i become proud, it gives me a platform you know to show people that you can do this like i didn't become a professional athlete to go around going "Oh, i'm a professional athlete look at me i'm killed cool, i'm like because i don't and i don't really look okay. at it is killed though, not Sorry? It is cool, though. (laughs) (laughs) But I really don't, and and I'm not one of those that does that. I hope not, anyway. (laughs) But uh, my main driving factor was this, was to prove to people, no matter how far down the wrong road you're gone, no matter how bad of a generation you're being brought up in, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, what your circumstances is, if you want something bad enough, you can have it. But you've got to work hard for it.
0: Talk to me about that moment in Barcelona, When so, sub 930 is the time you need to achieve to get a pro license in triathlon. Talk to me about how clued in you were to splits. And the moment you know, you know what, I'm going to make this, is there a wave washing over you just going, holy fuck?
1: Yeah. So, I I did this. I actually had a rotator cuff tear for a year during the process of training for this, but I wouldn't get the operation until I had achieved my goal. So, I couldn't even get, I couldn't even take my jacket off, I couldn't even reach up into the press to take stuff out. So my swimming took a knock, which is my worst discipline. But I became a beast on the bike and run because I always found that it's only an excuse. You could still be a beast on the bike and run and make up the time you lose your swim. That's the beauty about triathlon. So I became a really good cyclist and, and runner. I was already a decent runner, to be fair. But even on the day of the... So I, I line up on the beach for Barcelona and I just feel... I've hit every session. Like I used to set me an alarm clock once or twice a month. So what, this is what I used to do. I used to pick a random day on a calendar, say the 15th of April, right? Random all the time. At 2 in the morning, the 15th of April, you're going to grow up and do 100K, whether it's raining, sleet or snow, <laughs> pissing out, I don't give a bollocks. So every time, every month I used to set it, a weird little, little goal like that because what it done for me was it proved me how much I wanted this. I said to myself, if I don't grow up and do that cycle, that I've set myself then you don't want this. How much do you want it? So I set myself little jobs like that and I hit everything. I didn't miss any sessions from, from um, the day I said I was going to become pro to the day I actually achieved it. But
0: isn't this, I talk about this a lot on the podcast and I'm probably born in training partners' ears all the time. Like, we're in a society where people seem to strive for comfort, where they want comfort. And I'm saying to lads all the time, you. We shouldn't be seeking comfort. We should be seeking the opposite of comfort because it's that uncomfortable feeling every day when you get up and a cold water hits your face and you're out in the elements and you're doing shit that you don't want to do, but you're doing it because you said you'd do it months ago. It's that uncomfort and that pushing through that zone. That's the only time we achieve anything worthwhile. If I look at anything I've achieved in my life, it's always followed or a period before that has always been very uncomfortable stuff that I didn't like doing for a long period of time. You're never happy when you're sitting on the couch watching Netflix and eating Cheerios and eating ice cream. What happens then is like fucking sadness, my old friend shows up and he's like, oh, here you go again.
1: <laughs> That's the negative mindset. Like people have to get uncomfortable to strengthen the positive mindset. Just, there's, two, there's two minds within us one is a negative, one's a positive. And the negative will always put you in that safety zone or stay in, don't do it, no matter what it is. But if you control that ne- positive mindset, And you continue to get out and train. What happens is the negative fucks up. Doesn't even want to know anymore. My negative is now a positive. I have two positives because the little negative fucker is gone. So I've turned the negative fucker into a positive fucker. There's two of them now. I
0: have this schizophrenic conversation with myself every morning. When I get out of bed every single morning, no matter how I slept, if I have a headache, if I'm sick, I get into a cold shower. Straight away, Mm three-minute cold shower. I've done it probably for the last two years, but there hasn't been a single morning that I've got up and thought, oh yeah, I really want to do a cold shower. The other voice kicks in, giving me reasons why you don't want to get into the cold shower. You know, it's raining outside. You didn't sleep that well. You yeah. have a headache. You could be getting sick. And then the other voice takes over and goes, this isn't a fucking discussion, mate. We're getting into the cold shower. Yeah. And I'm having this crazy dialogue with myself every morning. <laughs> and I feel like that's the dialogue people have when they're trying to get their kit on or I heard David Goggins, the motivational speaker, you referenced him on the callous mind earlier, but he had something brilliant. And I know you're a coach and we get into it in a minute, but you should get your clients to do this. I've had one or two of my clients doing it. When they're procrastinating, when they have their running kid on or their cycling kid on and they're unsure if they want to go train or not, tell them to record a voice note for themselves on their phone, listing the reasons why they're unsure about going training and then play it back for themselves. And he says, listen back to the reasons you're thinking about not going training. And in his words, you're a straight-up bitch when you listen yeah. to those words.
1: I already have my, my clients clued in. They know. I'll ring them. i text them on a Monday. Every Monday, I, I go through every program, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, let them know if you've missed a session. You know, They know. They, they have the mindset of no excuses. So, so what we use is hashtag no excuses.
0: That's brilliant. Yeah. So when you hit 9.30 and you're stamped certified, you're a pro athlete, that gives you a platform and I suppose a credibility. Although you say it mightn't be that important to you getting the pro thing, I think it gives that credibility to the whole brand, the whole movement of what you're trying to do to say, look, if I can do this, anything is possible. And now you're going around speaking in schools, and I was on your website. And I, I know friends who are, you know, they're charging 10, fifteen, thousand euro for the talk. And you go onto your website. And it's free talks and schools. Talk to me about why you're doing them for free and what's the kind of goal behind it.
1: Because I've, I've come from a deprived area and you can't have money as a motivating factor to try and encourage people to change their lives. I just don't think that's a nice thing. For me, Now that's just me. For me, I, I can't have cash as a motivating factor for me to go back and give back. I'm giving back because that's what I want to do. And it's pure, that's what I want to do. I want to change people's lives. I want to go in and be a beacon in life. And that's the reason I became a professional athlete, to be able to do that. It wasn't to be able to go around with, oh, I'm a professional athlete. It was to be able to be, go back into schools and say, what are you talking about? You're full of shit. You have no excuses. I've been there. I've been down the wrong road for years and years and years. And now I'm a professional athlete. So I have no excuses. And I think if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk as well.
0: My dad's involved
1: in the local football
0: team for the last 20 years or so. And I remember chatting to him a couple of years ago and he's coming up on a retirement age. And, you know, there's plenty of things he could do rather than be putting up nets on a Saturday, Sunday morning for absolutely no money. And I said, to him, why do you still do what you do? And he said, each year, if I can get one lad... That's going down the wrong road and I can steer him back on the right road, you know, maybe he's not going to be a professional footballer, but maybe it just gives him that awareness that there's other options out there and steer him away from that life. He's like, if I can get one lad across the whole club per year, he's like, I'll keep doing this till I die. Yeah. So I'm all about,
1: like, I'm a social entrepreneur. So I made it onto social entrepreneurs this year, which is a group of, uh, Grew with, you, you, pitch, you pitch your idea, your social idea. So I, my, my idea is to go into deprived into areas and try and change a generation. So I've come up with a project called Reaching Back, how to change a generation, where I go back into communities and talk to people who have been down in the bad generation, who are continuing on the bad traits of their kids, and their kids are continuing on and on and on. And so it's, it's like a roundabout down there. Like someone needs to break the cycle. So my father was locked up. Before him, my granddad was locked up. I was locked up. My brothers are locked up. It just keeps going on and on. Someone needs to pull back and go, hang on, I believe a minute. I'm in charge of this. This this is my car now. I'm in charge of this. and turn it around 180 degrees and go down a different road. Instead of just continuing on the bad traits that others have given you. How do you ever... Put your son or your kids down the right road if you don't
0: change. And so it feels like you've, you have a son now at the moment. Yeah. It feels like you've broken this, we'll call it a family tradition, but when people say family traditions, they normally mean it in quite a positive yeah. way. But it, <coughs> this negative family tradition, it, does it feel like to you you've broken it and there's no 100%. chance of going back to this?
1: 100%. I've, I've reset my whole mindset to get away from, from what my father taught me. But the thing is in life, you know you inherit your father's bad traits regardless because it's a gene. So you inherit them without even realizing. Now there's one You can't really change that, but what you can do is you can learn how to deal with that. So that's what I've done. I learned how to deal with all the bad traits. Like I would have been aggressive. I wouldn't have been the type of person to sit down and have a chat with you. I'd rather punch the hell out of you. You wouldn't be the sort of allowed to do a podcast. <laughs> no, definitely not. But you know, I had all these bad traits, and I didn't know, I didn't understand that you can inherit this, or you can, you can actually, you know, follow on someone's footsteps. Because the thing is, if you only know one thing, and that's all you know, so if your if your father and mother used to fight, proper fight when the arguments come up, right? You inherit that, right? You know that that's the way. Oh, that's the way we deal with trouble. That's the way they deal with trouble. You think that's the only way because you don't see any other way. So there's a lot of people out there that has that. Um, but they're not willing to to change it. But there is a way of changing, you know?
0: And how much
1: of this, because I know
0: you're from a similar generation, me from Dublin as well. And it's, I talk to friends and they're starting to talk about their feelings now. They're starting to talk about, you know, maybe the relationship I had with my parents wasn't the perfect relationship to set me up for life. But this isn't something that was historically spoken between lads, definitely between Dublin lads of our generation. How much of this has been you figuring this out on your own versus leaning on counsellors, guidance workers, sports psychologists?
1: I think counselling is the way forward. Like, to, to be honest with sports, like you, sports will get you fit and healthy, right? But the real cause of your issues will always pop their head back up. Right? And I've seen it time and time again with lads that i coaching because I coach a lot of people from Kulak who had been in similar situations than me who have come to me because they know they can trust me and they know that I know uh, what they're going through. But you always see it popping its head back up because the fitness side of it will only get you strong. It'll only get you so far. But if you don't get to the root cause of the problem, by going to counselling and getting that that negativity from down the pit of the stomach, you don't get that out and clear it. You, you're, you're just going to... It's just going to come back and haunt you, do you know what I mean?
0: So that's how you break the cycle, you think? It's the counselling side?
1: A hundred percent. Counselling is so beneficial. Like, Like you have to... And the thing is, like, people need to realise it's not. this is none of your fault. Like, the way you've been brought up or the road you've been put on or whatever's happened in your life is not your fault. So So don't be afraid...
0: I remember a, a moment where I went to King's Inn to train as a barrister and I went in and I was the only person from North Dublin in the entire King's Inn and I went in and we visited Mountjoy on one of them it's compulsory in your final years your final weeks you go in and I remember chatting to a lad in my class coming out and he'd been private school he'd been through Trinity and now he'd been in the very traditional route for a lawyer and you know the public school route I went was not a traditional route to get into King's Inn. So I went in there and I remember coming out and I I, I had some friends who were in there at the time we were visiting it. And I remember coming out and chatting to him and he said something that just stuck with me. He's like, well, it boils down to choices, doesn't it? I chose to pursue a law school route. He chose to pursue a, a, a life of criminality. And I remember just thinking, you've no clue. I was yeah. like, if your family, your brothers are involved in it, if it's all you know, there is no choice. You're a yeah. kid. You, there is no choice and it's breaking that cycle with people like you to give them that option c there is a choice there is a positive role model even if you can't get it in your house you can find it externally
1: yeah but look okay, I, I, I people like that are fucking assholes to be honest you know excuse me language but it's easy for someone just to go oh, he's a scumbag right they are scumbags don't get me wrong like what they're doing is not the right thing it's bad and it's wrong but you need to go and have a look at what goes on behind closed doors. Like, all, most of these kids that are up there have been brought up in shitty situations. The mother and father are the alcoholics, the father that fucks off, which is the norm, right? And the mother's left to look after them. The mother's mindset is, you know, they, they just don't have a mindset. they just all they're thinking of is having a drink, taking some tablets to sort out the bullshit. Like, the kids have no, they've no ch- ch- uh, chance in life. You literally have no chance. And then when you're not loved as a kid, all you generate is negative because you don't know what love feels like. You don't know what it's like to have a birthday at Christmas, right? So you don't get that loving factor of a home. I never lived in a home until I met my wife. Never knew what it was like to be loved. Never got birthday presents. Never sat down with me and, you know, we love you, kissing you and hugging you as all kids deserve to get, right? I do it all that with my kids. It's only when I, when I met my wife, and we generate a loving family. I realized how much shit I'd been through, and I'd never got any of this. When that happens to you, you generate a negative ball inside you, and you don't care about people. And anyone that looks at you, you tell them to fuck off. Anyone that, you know, you just want to steal things, you just want to be a bollocks. That's what happens. Cause, and then people, you have people just go, no, they're scumbags, fuck them. Like, then there's no one backing them up, there's no one putting anything in on a preventive measure. Like, it costs the taxpayer 360,000 a year to jail a juvenile in Town. 360,000 a year, right? There's fucking nothing being done on preventative measures. Not a thing in that area. Like if you have three lads coming from, say, Dardell to prison, right, to Town once a year, right? That's nearly a million euro, right? If you invest into that area two or three hundred grand a year on trying to prevent kids going down the bad road, right? And you could do it with three hundred grand. You could prevent people... If you prevent one kid going down, you could pay for that money. Do you I mean? They're nothing on preventive measures. Nothing.
0: Well, that preventative thing for me, it's because... It, say it's a... You know, whatever it is. If it's a pool hall, if it's a badminton courts or whatever yeah. it is you put in, you start getting... Like you were identified in the jail, you start getting... The positive people will gravitate towards that, and then they'll slowly suck in people who are borderline positive. Well, touching on that point... How much of now do you believe in this? Because I'm a big believer in it. Uh, you are the sum of the people you surround yourself with, the three or the average of the five. You know, some people use three, some people use five. How much credence do you put on that now?
1: Um, how can you surround yourself with positive people if there's nothing but negative in an area?
0: No, but take now for you in triathlon, how really? much of it is stepping well, away from the old friends and now well, surround, surround yourself, yourself with.
1: with negative people to try and make them positive. Do but you yeah, I go looking for them because I know I'm in a good place. So we actually go looking for people who are struggling. Look, I'm currently a big brother for a kid over in, um, where is he? Over in Temple Mark. Temple Oak. Temple Oak. I, I'm a big brother to a, a 16-year-old over there. He's he lost his mother and father. He's so negative. Doesn't even see me. I drive over every Friday. It's time to tell me to fuck off. But, you know, I'm in a good place. And it's time to reach back and look, look to help people. You need, like, people need to stop pointing the finger going, fuck them, they're negative, stay away from them. Why are they negative? For what reason? You know, is there a real cause to them being negative? Can we not have a chat with them? Can we not try and help them? You know, it's so easy just to fucking throw people away and say, I'll leave them, they're muppets. You know, I'm not for that, I'm for Where's the negative person? How can I help that person? Be positive.
0: That's brilliant. I love that, uh, that ethos on it. So, what's, what's up next for you? Uh, I see for anyone that's listening, most of our listeners are a podcast, but this, it's going up on YouTube as well. So, people will see Jair has quite an elaborate uh, neck brace contraption on at the moment. You broke your neck. Tell, you, t- you tell the story rather than me telling it.
1: Broke my neck on the 25th of July in a half hour, man. Um, Came off the bike downhill into a right a ninety degree turn. Triathletes I love it. a crash.
0: Oh, I'll break. teach you how to go around a corner someday.
1: Chasing the pack as usual, I'm a shit swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, hit, a, hit a stump. Um, stopped. Yeah, hit the stump. Anyway, even carried off on a swim board. Went to Kerry General Hospital. They diagnosed with soft tissue. I, was, I, I raced another race two weeks after. Um, finished that in a heap you know, in bad pain. Three weeks after that, I decided to do another full Ironman. Um, only managed 1.9 in the swim. Back in an ambulance, went up to the hotel in a fucking negative state, thinking, oh, I'm giving up to that now and all this. And I said to said, you know what, your legs are all wet. So, put your suit back on, marks back up to the marathon part of the Ironman and asked him could I finish the marathon. Um, and, yeah a marathon with a broken neck as you do I finished the marathon <laughs> in 3.03 in anger three, 3 hours and 3 minutes in pure anger because I was pissed off best thing I ever done because it put me back in the mind frame of do you know what the legs were fine you can do anything you want to do um, so two, a week after that then I went and got a CAT scan and they told me it was a broken neck so I'm in, a, I'm in a car since about 10 weeks now I'm in a car a neck brace so when do you get that off? I don't know. I'm back up at the end of the month. <laughs> but,
0: uh, have you uh, picked any? Have you picked any targets for next season, or what's the next big challenge?
1: Well, I'm looking to do a sub three on the sixth of December we're, we're without neck breaks. Yes, your legs are still working, as you said. They're
0: still working. <laughs> no no excuse. Jer, uh, I know there's going to be a, a bunch of people after this podcast now, and they're going to be like, "Where can we? Where can we follow your journey? Where can we follow your story? Where's the best place for them to do that?"
1: So. I'm on Instagram a lot, so JerryRedman5 on Instagram would be the best place to follow him.
0: And all your coaching stuff is linked up there as well? Yeah, so
1: my website is linked to the, to the Instagram account on the profile.
0: And it's well worth checking out his videos up there, podcasts up there that are all brilliant. Jerry, before I let you go, last question, I'd like to ask every guest the same question. I'm sure it's going to be a bizarre answer for you because you're not the typical guest I have on the podcast. But through your whole... You know, I'll extend it to you. I normally say someone's athletic life, but through your whole life, what's the one piece of advice? It can be training advice, nutrition advice, or just life advice that you wish someone had given you back in the day, that you wish someone had given 16-year-old Jared that was coming back from Dunfermline. What's the piece of advice you'd whisper in his ear now? Well,
1: the advice i give to people is don't point the finger at people who are in dysfunctional uh, lifestyles, who who are doing the wrong things in life look a bit forward, I get to the real cause and um, do something positive to try and help them people in a more, to, to a more positive life. It's so easy for us just to point the finger at people, but you don't know what goes, goes on behind closed doors. So, um, but there is a better life out there and it doesn't matter where you're from. There's one thing for sure in life and that's, it's this, nothing will be handy on the plate. You know, if you want something, you've got to work hard for it. hard work, always pays. so if you want it you got to go after it that's a good message jerry redmond present the pro
0: legend thanks for chatting
1: cheers thanks
0: pal okay stop what you're doing it's anthony again i want to talk to you for one second about the next step in the roadman journey i'm laying down a challenge for you it's called the eight week challenge So for eight weeks, I'm challenging you to be the very best version of yourself, whatever that is. For eight weeks, I wanna take you under my wing and I wanna personally build for you a customized training plan on our analytics platform. This plan is gonna be laser focused on your goal and I'm gonna navigate around your life, your work, your social commitments, so don't worry about what your circumstances are right now. I remember after I took some time out of cycling, I went off and thought I was Billy Big Businessman. I came back and I realized I wanted to get into cycling, but I knew after a bit, the training alone, it actually wasn't making me any fitter. I needed an entire system. It needs a 360 overhaul. So for the first time ever, I want to share with you this exact system I used to get back in shape. I'm talking stuff like I'm going to give you my morning routines, the cold therapy I used, the cookbooks and recipes I used, and even the motivational audios I listen to to get back on track. So right now, what I want you to do is pause this audio, go to www.roadmancycling.com forward slash 8week, or check out the link in the bio, click that. So one more time, it's roadmancycling.com forward slash 8week. Chat to you all soon.